So my name is Rick Napier, the CEO at Real People USA LLC, located somewhere between Sacramento and San Francisco. And it's a pleasure today to have a, a, a person who's been a guest. And this is the fifth time that Dr. Uh, Colleen Huber has been a guest on the Real People USA uh, podcast. And I want to welcome her back for the fifth time where we will talk about the latest things dealing with COVID, the vaccines, and some of the, um, uh, what, what, what I would like to call them, the unintended consequences of COVID and the vaccine. So good afternoon, Dr. Colleen Huber. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Rick. Thank you so much for having me back. And I'm glad to be back with you because every time I uh, have a podcast interview with you, you ask excellent questions, really thought-provoking questions. And I think the ones that really touch on the most important issues that we were facing and now in the COVID and the late, hopefully it's the late COVID era. Exactly, exactly. So if you don't mind, please give our guests, our new guests, we probably have about, I think about two or 300 regular guests and maybe that number was 150 the last time we did an episode. So if you don't mind, please give people a little about your background. Thank you. I'm a naturopathic medical doctor, a naturopathic physician, licensed medical practitioner in Tempe, Arizona. And I'm also a naturopathic oncologist. So most of my patients are cancer patients. However, uh, when my cancer patients go into remission, they often choose to have me continue a primary care for them as well. And for that reason, I have seen and treated COVID patients over the last three years. Um, we're very happy at my clinic that none of my COVID patients have been hospitalized or killed by COVID or, you know, any, um, in other words, they all recovered and stayed well uh, for a long period. That's gone up through as late as uh, two weeks ago. I don't think we had any uh, people with COVID last week, but the week before, yes, uh, last week in December. Um, anyway, uh, COVID has not been that hard to treat. Here in Arizona, we fortunately have access to materials that well, we can use against it. That it wasn't such an enormously difficult task to acquire ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and uh, those being two very important substances to use. But people can also uh, access the over-the-counter materials against COVID, namely vitamin D, zinc, et cetera. Uh, so I've had uh, those aspects to my practice. I stayed pretty busy there in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, we've been there, um, uh, I opened the clinic 16 years ago. I've been practicing medicine and all that time. Excellent, excellent. And I just want to give people a recap of how we met. And I was, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very skeptical of the government. I'm, I used to have a top secret clearance in the military, so I know how our government can <laughs> bend the truth, so to speak. So when I heard about this COVID situation, I think they first made an announcement that some people in Seattle, Washington were dying in December of 2019. And so my, my thing was in here in California and the rest of the country, they announced that COVID was real and it was March, it was right after my birthday. And I said, wait a minute, three to four months have passed. And if this thing was really that bad, I would have seen some impacts of it just a thousand miles away from Seattle, Washington. And I didn't. 
and I've always had my suspicions about it. So I found your website because you were you were really starting to talk about COVID on your on your website at Dr. I mean ColleenHuber.com, and I said, "Man, this this woman seems to have her finger on the pulse of this COVID thing, and I want to make sure, I want to see if I can have." you on as a podcast guest and you graciously accept it and long story short my wife and I met you about uh, about 14 months ago I think it was November December of 2021 and uh, we met and we got our prescriptions from you and uh, and then just all the podcast episodes we've done you've been right on track and you in fact you've been ahead of the curve so I want to thank you for your, your time today. I want to thank you for your knowledge and your friendship and educating the public about this COVID and now the vaccine situation. So thank you very much. Rick, I appreciate that everything that you said, and I hope to live up to all the expectations, all the kind things you've said about me. And, you know, I want to say that it's kind of interesting how you and I both became uh, skeptical of what was happening with COVID, that is, what was announced in the media versus what we saw with our own eyes. And that is one of the, or the first case that was announced to be in Seattle, but one of the early cases was in here in Arizona. And I believe, um, if I'm not mistaken, here in the Phoenix area. So I also thought, like you, uh, if this is announced to be a horrendous pandemic and it has already arrived to Arizona, why is nobody getting sick? And when uh, the people that we knew uh, were getting sick, well, they were down for a couple of days. Uh, I missed one day of work when I had COVID. And, uh, you know, I I felt fine uh, all the rest of the time. But... Uh, yeah, it was interesting that we were asked to, uh, you know, believe the narrative rather than to, quote, trust our lying eyes, unquote, to use an old <laughs> expression. You know, we saw videos of uh, people falling over in uh, China just dropping on the street, and we were being told that a horrendous uh, pandemic, once-in-a-century pandemic, was upon us. But uh, a true pandemic really doesn't need such uh, fierce advertising. You know, a true pandemic will be apparent to people who uh, just look around and, and see what other people look like in the supermarket and, and at work, uh, et cetera. So, um, you know, reality was not quite in line with uh, the narrative. Exactly. So from your website, and now you're, you're, you are now a Substack uh, uh, publisher, please talk about some of your articles that you've written, and then you can also continue about how your experience, your naturopathic medical doctor and medical doctor experience puts you in the position to be, I would call you an expert on the, on the subject of COVID and the vaccines. Thank you. Uh, I was just uh, noting this morning that my uh, Substack uh, subscriber just passed 5,000, I think it was yesterday. And uh, so Substack, I'm very grateful for providing a platform that we can discuss really important topics. You know, contrast that, for example, with Facebook, where uh, one must say, oh, that person had uh, three carrots and then uh, got, uh, you know, a chronic disease. And we all know what carrots are supposed to be. But uh, that's uh, really a silly way to have to discuss the most essential and urgent issue of our time, which is uh, these COVID vaccines and what they are doing to the population. And so um, I understand that on Facebook, 
the COVID vaccines are variously referred to as carrots, beef stew, ice cream, uh, dessert, and they may have some other names for them uh, because, as we've learned from the Twitter files, there are an enormous number of um, uh, U.S. intelligence uh, personnel in the uh, management or leadership or the censorship office or wherever they are of uh, Facebook and the other uh, large media, very unfortunately, and clamping down on speech that they don't like. So that people have to refer to carrots instead of, you know, um, a good healthy vegetable full of vitamin A. And, and then that's supposed to mean something completely different. So I, for every day that I am not on Facebook, which is every day in my life, uh, I am very grateful, <laughs> and so that's why I really appreciate Substack uh, going against the grain of censorship and allowing that voice. As far as uh, I, I appreciate that you've um, referred to me as an expert on these matters. The uh, book that I wrote, The Defeat of COVID in 2021, um, is the most thoroughly researched book on the mechanisms of action of the early treatments of COVID. For example, vitamin D. I cite over, I cite 130 studies on vitamin D alone in that book as far as everything that it does to help us against viruses in general and COVID in particular and our immune system strengthening also uh, as well as zinc, uh, vitamin C, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine as very important uh, treatments for COVID. And then when the COVID vaccines came out, I wrote the book uh, Neither Safe Nor Effective in which I cite over 300 studies from the peer-reviewed published medical literature, uh, government's epidemiological uh, databases, and mainstream news reports now regarding the hazards of the COVID vaccines, uh, that they have neither been effective nor have they been at all safe. There are some dangers there. So I hope to keep living up to your expectations in that regard, and, and I'm, uh, I'm working on a second edition of that book about the COVID vaccine. Excellent, excellent. Now, I know that uh, when these shots started going out around December of 2020, within four to five months, I think April, no, March and May, I, I lost two military veteran friends that just died. I, and these guys were healthy. And one was, was not even like a, my age. He was about maybe 15 years younger than me. And I knew the, the wife better than the husband. I've only met the husband maybe five times. I knew the wife because she was a business owner. And uh, it was just shocking because the, the, the woman was very recognized here in the Sacramento Valley. So when I got the call from a, 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 a colleague and said, you know, this person's husband just died, that's when I knew that it was that this vaccine thing was was nothing to play with because when you start knowing individuals, not, not, just, not just hearing about people on television or social media, when you know someone that has died, and that's one person in Seattle, one person in, in Sacramento, and just recently on Christmas Day, a relative died on Christmas Day, a 40-year-old woman. And it's just, this, this vaccine thing is just so diabolical. And so my next question for you is, please describe or explain what you have written recently on Substack about the clot shot. Now, a lot of people were talking about, uh, you know, the clots and the, the embalmers were talking about these weird stringy 
uh, uh, spongy substances coming out of veins and arteries. Please talk about what you have learned, uh, and you 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 give it a name called the clot the clot shot. Well, I can't take credit for being the first to use the word clot shot, but uh, it seems to be a very appropriate description. I want to express my sympathy for the loss of those three friends whom you mentioned, and uh, on Christmas Day being uh, all the more painful. Um, all those lives were, I'm sure, appreciated uh, and are keenly felt in the loss of. And I, I think you have likely seen the Rasmussen poll of, I believe it was last week, and uh, I think it was 28% of Americans believe that uh, we know of at least one person whose death was likely due to the vaccines. I myself uh, know of one who I think is absolutely certain and several others that I suspect uh, in broader community people. So uh, I wrote an article uh, last week about um, an association of people who have had uh, COVID vaccines and then came to me as a physician um, and then a lab that I ran on them. And I ran the lab D-dimer. Uh, D-dimer refers to uh, two parts of, and that's why it's called D-dimer, uh, uh, because two, uh, two parts uh, protein of, that is a breakdown product of fibrin. Fibrin is kind of a thready-like uh, structure that holds a clot together. Now, clots are so necessary, you know, to stop bleeding if, in case we are injured. And it's a very good mechanism to patch that, that uh, leak of, of blood. And so we need several things to happen. There's actually 14 uh, known elements of the clotting cascade it is because, you know, first uh, the one will show up, the platelets, and then the other things show up, and, and then fibrin is a is a thready structure that holds it together. So then when that, um, when the body fights back against the clot, you know, because, yeah, it does its job, it patches the leak, but then we've got to get rid of it, especially if it's in the interior. You know, the exterior, we don't care so much it becomes, a, you know, a scab and then it falls off eventually, but in the interior, we've got to get rid of that clot uh, when it's no longer needed, and so we have to break it down. This D-dimer lab is shows some success, actually, of the body breaking down the clot. But when we see high numbers of D-dimer, it turns out that the body's working too hard for too long in a chronic sort of way to keep breaking down clots, more so than if a person has, say, high platelets or high fibrinogen or anything like that. This particular lab, D-dimer, this shows a problem. Now, there was this huge study I referred to that happened in Italy back in 2013, so pre-COVID, southern Italy, 17,000 people. It turns out that D-dimer wasn't associated with age, sex, diet, uh, lifestyle, smoking, alcohol. It wasn't associated with any of that uh, high D-dimer levels, but it was associated with increased risk of death. That is, uh, the lower the D-dimer, better for longevity. Um, so what I'm finding is in every single COVID-vaccinated person who came to see me um, and I asked, would you be willing to get a D-dimer test? And those five of them said yes. Uh, every single one of them came back high. The lowest one was in the top, um, top 21st percentile, um, but all the others came back above range. And so I'm a little bit worried about them, and we're trying to figure out strategies 
for them to be able to not have this chronic um, production of clots and fighting back against clots because, you know, both are, are a little bit risky for them. Um, so we're trying to, you know, look into natural substances that may be helpful to turn this around. Wow, that, that's pretty interesting because looking at some of the videos I've um, seen from other uh, people who have been studying these clots and these, these, these rubbery substances, I got to tell you, Dr. Huber, when I first saw some of these substances coming out of people's veins, I didn't believe it. I, I was kind of like, no way that could someone have something that looks like a, like a cord or some type of uh, like, a, like a rubbery extension cord coming out of their veins. But I kept seeing it over and over again. And, you know, then the embalmers started, you know, saying, gosh, you know, we're seeing these people come in with uh, with uh, with uh, a medical or not medical, but, you know, post death type um, post death type situations that they've never seen in their lives, you know, 30, 40 years these people have been in these industries and they've never seen anything like it. It almost looked like it was alien tissue coming out of uh, these, these individuals. So the next question, um, I know right now that a lot of people are starting to talk about vaccines and cancers. Have you seen any, any data or any type of um, uh, bl uh, blips on the radar regarding vaccines and cancer? Uh, yes, uh, oncologists are noting uh, that there seem to be um, increased rates of cancer, uh, increased aggression of cancer to the point where the term turbo cancers is now being used uh, because um, we're seeing cancers uh, that just have grown faster than would be expected under the circumstances of the person's age, health, etc. Um, and, and being um, a little bit harder to treat. So then there was some speculation, well, uh, that maybe the reason that these cancers are uh, forming in the COVID vaccinated is because of a, of a difference in the antibodies that are being made by the individual. And there was a paper that came out a couple of weeks ago or last week, um, Talking about the different types of antibodies, IgG4 versus IgG3 and IgG1, and that this IgG4 is a type of antibody that just makes the body more relaxed and uh, accepting or tolerant of uh, the spike proteins and the SARS-CoV-2 virus and, and its variants. Uh, so that, you know, the COVID-vaccinated people very often will say, or at least celebrities on mainstream media will often say, oh, I am sick, I, or that is, I tested positive for COVID again today, but thank goodness I had my uh, multiple jabs because otherwise I would be really sick. Uh, one problem with this is that the body has become, uh, has gotten to the point where it's tolerating uh, SARS-CoV-2 so much that they are not able to fight it so well and they keep getting sick. But this also is, um, speaks volumes about the immune system's attention to uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That is, it's not fighting very hard against it. It turns out that some speculation happened that it might not be, the immune system might not be fighting very hard against cancer either because 
of this IgG4 antibody being prominent. This is the, you know, relaxed, uh, chill antibody that will put up with a lot of different things. So, but I don't think that is why that we're getting the turbo cancers. I think the reason we're getting turbo cancers is from a paper that came out maybe about eight or so months ago. Um, and that was a paper that uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, you know, the uh, world-renowned uh, cardiologist, he's the most widely published cardiologist in human history. He participated in this paper with Stephanie Seneff, and she's a well-known uh, uh, PhD at MIT, um, who has studied cancer many years. And their thoughts about this are that those COVID vaccines are reducing a chemical in the body uh, called type 1 interferon. And that type 1 interferon just completely uh, lays the immune system down to sleep. In other words, it makes the immune system inactive in so many ways. It, it prevents us from uh, fighting back against cancer in the multiple ways that cancer attacks the body. It's very, very hard to defeat cancer. I find at our clinic when we're working to defeat cancer, we have to be almost to the point of redundancy in our approach. That is, if cancer attacks the body in several major ways, we have to fight back against every single one of those major ways. And, you know, uh, as best we can, but, but the loss of this particular cytokine chemical, it's called, in the body, type 1 interferon, which is our strongest immune system chemical that we make in our bodies, but when the COVID vaccinated lose this chemical or it goes, it goes drastically down, then they lose their ability to resist cancer. And that, um, that is really a shame. Oh, by the way, I, I want to go back to the thing that you had asked me about and I neglected to answer earlier. Yes, the thing, the long rubbery structures that are being pulled out uh, by the embalmers uh, from the deceased. And sometimes these have been reported to be up to 18 inches or even three feet long. Um, have also, a number of uh, embalmers have been interviewed about these, and they have shared information at uh, conferences of embalmers where they ask each other, have you seen this? Yes, uh, we've only seen this since early 2021, et cetera. And that seems to be not a typical blood clot. Those, like you say, different structure, they tend to be white or beige-ish, um, not a typical, like what you would expect of a red, dark red flat, you know? So quite uh, different that way, but also the texture being kind of rubbery and tough. Um, they are saying, or at least uh, it seems to be thought, that those are composed of amyloid. So what is amyloid? Amyloid is uh, flat, sheet-like proteins. And the reason those are so tough is that those flat sheets are stacked so neatly like a ream of paper or like folded linens in the closet, whereas other proteins can be like uh, loose uh, linens that go in the, in the laundry. You know, it's all loose and crumpled up maybe, right, not stacked uh, neatly and tightly. So the amyloid is, is very tight because flat sheets all fitting together closely. And so, you know, the molecules. And that's why it seems to be that those those clots are rubbery and tight. And it seems that the speculation is that it's the spike proteins that have done this. Now, other people have said other things uh, that maybe 
um, other components of the vaccine. I kind of doubt that because, you know, if a vaccine is a milliliter or less of fluid that gets injected, I don't see how a three-foot-long visible um, amyloid structure could be pulled out that entirely came from the vaccine. That doesn't seem, that seems like impossible from volume of intake to volume of output. You know, that, that just doesn't add up. But I do think that then in that case, because um, the mRNA vaccines taught our cells, if we received it, to create spike proteins, I think that's got to be some kind of accumulation of a spike protein interacting with dead endothelial cells and just um, gathering, gathering cells from our bodies and putting that together in this amyloid structure in such a way that it has completely stopped up a vein or even an artery. They are pulling some of the structures out of people's arteries as well. Um, and then that seems to be, I would think, uh, very um, imminent um, at the cost of death, you know, because uh, there's no pumping blood past such things. I hope yeah, I didn't exactly. ramble on too much. <laughs> oh, no, no, thanks. I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here listening, and I appreciate your, your feedback because, I mean, you mentioned something a few minutes ago. You said just a few, a few milliliters of something injected into the arm is causing all this massive, you know, rubbery substance, you know, uh, body parts failing, people passing out. And that brings me to the next subject. Now we have, over the last year and a half, we're starting to see a lot of pro professional athletes and, you know, a child athletes and college athletes passing out on the field or, or passing out in their sleep. And that's what happened to my niece. She, she went to bed and she was um, she got a shot in March and had had a coma for about a week in August and she she went to sleep on Christmas Eve and never woke up and that's what happened to her she did she she pretty much passed away in her sleep so now we now we have these pro professional athletes and they're the most visible because they're on TV and you know you have a lot of athletes that have refused the vaccine some NBA players some NFL players that have refused the vaccine um, now, you know, we had a recent incident the, the other day, last week, with the with the NFL player. What do you think is going to be the long or the end game with these vaccines and uh, these professional athletes and these celebrity figures and the average Joe on the street? What do you see things getting better, or do you perhaps see things getting much worse? Well. Yeah. The Mara Hamlin's experience has really riveted people in a way in this country that they had not been riveted before. Uh, actually, earlier, uh, many soccer players had been having experiences like this all over the world. But uh, football, well, American football being more popular here than soccer, um, the American people, I don't think, really tuned in to what was happening uh, in soccer clubs all over the world, although they've been really panicked about it because it's been so prevalent. But then, you know, Monday night football, millions of people are watching, and uh, Mr. Hamlin is receiving an uh, impact collision to his shoulder pretty much. It looked like it was mostly his right shoulder. And then what happened? And then they had to... Um, you know, it, they had to try to restore his breathing for nine minutes 
while everybody's watching and very worried about him, and I think uh, everyone is now breathing such a sigh of relief that he has woken up, he has spoken words, and I'm I'm just really glad to know that. The, the, the thing is, like you say, after an event of such impact as this, uh, it, it rivets the attention. It begins to uh, occur to people, you know, why am I seeing so many people who seem to be sicker than they used to be? Other people who actually, I'm so sorry to hear about your niece uh, being, um, you know, never, not waking up after she went to sleep on Christmas Eve. Oh, you know, it, uh, so many families are aware of these events that I think that Rasmussen poll, for example, it, when it caught 28% of us saying we believe we know somebody who, who died uh, that might have been closely related to the COVID vaccines, we're the ones who have opened our eyes to this. But I think many others, after they see what happened to Mr. Hamlin and they see uh, the Rasmussen poll and they say, wait a minute, you know, well, wh what was the real story of my coworker or my relative back uh, some months ago? When, when this happened. And maybe now they're starting to put two and two together. So yes, mm -hmm. like you say, we might be kind of at a pivotal point with regard to public opinion and public awareness. Exactly, and the report on what was the diagnosis on uh, Mr. Hamlin, the, the football player was a cardiac arrest and you know, others were put, putting out this diagnosis of comatio cordis. What exactly is comatio cordis? Ah, yes. Okay, so this is an agitation of the heart, literally, I translated. Um, and it is far more typical, one, in a younger age group. It is more typical in children and teenagers. And it is also more associated with a different type of impact entirely. This would be a direct impact of a smaller, faster object like a hockey puck or a baseball. And those seem to be uh, much more associated with it, that younger age group, and also uh, in sports without chest protection, like baseball, you know, where um, that impact could arrive to close to the sternum. And if it arrives at a certain moment in the uh, stroke cycle of the uh, heart, in the cardiac rhythm, then if it arrives at that certain moment, it can create a, um, a chaotic situation in the heart. The EKG at that moment would look uh, uh, sawtooth irregularity. Um, so it would, and, and also that stops the heart. So if that had happened to Mr. Hamlin, then he would not have been able to stand up again as he did. So after uh, he was collided with, he then stood up again. And then I think it was after that, that the cardiac arrest was overwhelming and that basically knocked him back down. So it, it, for several reasons. Oh, and also the NFL players, you know, they have the hard plastic chest protectors, which should have, have stopped that. But I believe that the um, opposing player who uh, collided with him, it, that that was, don't you think that was much closer to his shoulder rather than his chest? Yes, in fact, I played football as a, a peewee football in Florida and in high school football. And I, I'm also a student of physics. And I, and I did like a, like a force diagram of, of like an impact diagram where the, uh, the, the, the wide receiver or the, or the offensive player was running 
like pretty much a horizontal, and the the Buffalo Bills player was running at a, a probably a, a, an angle 30 degrees off center. And so even the force, it was not a head-on force. It wasn't like straight horizontal force. It was a, like, 100, like a, a straight force and a 70-degree force off a of center or a 30-degree force off a of center. And it looked like the, the force hit the, the higher end of the shoulder pads. And those shoulder pads, I got to tell you, even in high school, they were pretty good. And I would imagine that the NFL has very uh, great engineered uh, shoulder pads that are made to withstand, you know, the, the, the best hits that, that would not cause a person to go to a level one trauma center. That was my first impression. So the shoulder pads are made in such a way, would you say, to diffuse the impact? That's, that's well, I tell you what, when you, when you start playing football as a, as, a, as a young kid, they have these drills where you're, where you're running through like a line of people and the coach says 45 and, or, or 62. And that person who's, who's a defensive player, their job is to tackle you. You never know who it's going to be until it's the person is running after you. And typically, you know, to make the, the crowd of, of boys go, ooh, ah, they typically like to have a shoulder to shoulder or some type of uh, shoulder pad hit because it's louder. I mean, no one goes out and, and, and tries to tackle someone from uh, the waist down at the thighs. They, wanna, they want that, that hit. So I've seen these hits as a player hundreds if not thousands of times and if you watch any football game, you see this you know, the times if you've, if you've been watching NFL or American football as long as I have. So I was pretty shocked to see uh, this this uh, this this uh, situation happen with Mr. Hamlin. But I am so happy that he is now recovering. But it still remains that something is not right. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. I hope he is able to resume his full activities and someday. And uh, but he's. It sounds from the doctors that he's got a long ways to go. First, so yes, I think everyone shares this relief. Uh, it, it's a, you know, it's a it's a hard thing. Uh, some of the uh, people who have publicly said, let's uh, examine the vaccine with regard to this event, um, have been quite brutally criticized. Like uh, there was Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA who uh, indicated that there may be some connection between the vaccine and the impact. And then uh, Adam Kissinger uh, really ripped him. As very uh, very brutally, I, I'm not sure I can I can even uh, remember exactly how disparaging those words were. It was pretty disparaging. Um, so uh, the the narrative is um, you know having some holes poked in it by the reality that people are observing. So how how the narrative could possibly be restored by the uh, most intense propaganda efforts, I cannot imagine. You know, once your eyes are open, they say, uh, they will not close again. Once we are aware of the truth, once the person is red-pilled, there's no going back to the blue pill, uh, ignorance is bliss status. Yes, I agree. And my, my only concern uh, is if this was a shoulder pad 
uh, if this was a, a impact type uh, incident because two people collided, the NFL needs to look at how can we mitigate this? So how can we mitigate, minimize, or eliminate this risk from happening again if it is based on the collision? And uh, I don't think they should be playing in the NFL games. If or, I think they should cancel the season. I know that's pretty hardcore, but if this is a collision-based situation that put this young man in a level one trauma center, then how can the NFL say that that all the protocols of playing football with all these collisions that happen that happens a hundred times a game? How can they be sure that another person won't get injured? So I tell you what, why don't you close us out with any comments that you have and please provide your website and your Substack uh, website and I will put those links in the podcast description. Thank you, Rick. I would like to add to what you just said is not only, uh, you know, definitely curtail the games or close the season or something, but definitely stop any mandates whatsoever. They've got to stop injecting these young men with the experimental product. Uh, they've got to stop injecting uh, all athletes, uh, college students, and the military, and, you know, uh, overreaching employers who think that they can make medical choices for their employees. And so um, I would like to say that. Um, but, um, yes, thank you so much again for having me on. I am Colleen Huber, NMD, a naturopathic physician in Tempe, Arizona. Our website uh, for our clinic is natureworksbest.com. Uh, my substack is Colleen Huber, C-O-L-L-E-E-N-H-U-B-E-R dot substack dot com. All righty, Dr. Colleen Huber, I want to thank you for being a guest on the Real People USA podcast. It is Friday. Please have a, a, a great weekend. Enjoy your Friday evening, and thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, Rick. It's such a pleasure to talk to you again. Okay, bye-bye. Make it a great day.